0: Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live Talk Radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to Lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen.
1: Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy! There is no joy in Mudville. <laughs> um, yeah, man. Um, jeez. So uh, it's going to be a rough year or two four, or three. I don't know for Pittsburgh sports fans. I mean, what do you got to root for? I'm serious. The Steelers are um <clears throat> they're in huge trouble, obviously, and um it's uh rebuilding Time, and you know, of course, you know I was thinking that when you have a when you have a storied franchise like the Steelers, um you hands uh, get sort of misled into Believing that you win all the time. Uh, Most teams and most fans and they sit down to look at a Sunday football game, they really don't have a clue whether their team will win or lose because they do both pretty much you know, it's a fifty fifty. But when you when you're when you're the Steelers or a Steelers fan, there's a certain dictation which is actually not based in any kind of uh reality because of course nobody gets to stay on top all the time. Nobody gets to win all the time, although I don't know. Some people, like Tom Brady, seem to get a pass. But it's interesting that I think it's harder for fans of a team that has had uh, a storied history of being a winner. It's much harder to adjust. To
0: uh, And I, you know...
1: I couldn't watch after a while. Uh, I couldn't; it was unbearable. And as you know, I'm conflicted because I'm a I'm a shareholder of the Green Bay Packers and um, a 40 year fan of the Pittsburgh. So that was a game every time I looked up I, I just so much cognitive dissonance it was a joke. I I root for both those teams. Those are my teams. And when they're playing, <clears throat> if it's a good game, I can enjoy both these storied franchises doing what they do, playing a great game, but when it's what it was last night, there is no way. None. Unbearable. So I was thinking about how hard it is for fans to deal with the inevitable of uh, these periods of uh, rebuilding. And it's interesting that we don't get into those as much when, in fact, that can be a very exciting time. <laughs> uh, but I know it ain't going to work that way. Um, and you know it, it's just gonna—it's a hard time to be a, a sports fan in this town. <laughs> the Pirates are a embarrassment. I—I uh, I, I don't know. It's gonna be rough, and it's too bad because in these times when we've all got so much on our plates, a lot of stress, there. Having, you know, a pleasurable distraction is a real gift, but I don't know. No, I'm just saying. I, I don't think I'm throwing in the towel too early, but um, man, this looks like a really mucked up team. Anyway, there was that. I was glad Belichick lost, at least. I don't know, guys. Unbelievable. Margaret's asking, do you like Roger's hair? No. I don't like his hair. And I've come to not particularly like him. Um, I don't like him. There's something, I mean, I'll, I tip my hat to his athletic prowess, but there's something about him uh, as a person that I don't think I like. I really just don't, sorry. And that, so that, there's that. Ay, 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 ay. Here's a pet peeve I have, and it's not, It's not, you know, I'm going to continue to be annoyed by it because it's just astonishing to me how many people use it. Marketers use it, advertisers use it. People use it, and no one thinks, wait a minute, what? I heard it uh, just earlier this morning. I had the radio on, and I heard something about, and you'll get a free gift along with your whatever, a free gift. Now, you ask, I mean, please, somebody tell me. If you have to pay for a gift, it's not a gift. So a free gift is a ludicrous juxtaposition of words. A gift by its nature is free, although, of course, they can come with strings attached, but not to get into that. A free gift, and obviously, it's used, even though it's absurd, because it underscores, it gives you two things that you want. You want a gift, and you want something free. So it probably fires up all the right Neurons in your brain's chemistry, a free gift, Jesus God it's awful when you get annoyed at such seemingly inconsequential things, but I do oh God, I'm sorry, guys it's a what did I just see before the show started? William Shatner, (laughs) William Shatner, Star Trek, Captain Kirk uh, is uh, apparently going into space, literally. Uh, He's going off on one of Bezos's space flights. Um, in a little over a week. October 12th, William Shatner will become the oldest person ever to be in space. He just doesn't look healthy enough to do it. He's
0: 90.
1: I mean, I'll tip my hat to him for having the courage to do it, but I, I geez. Uh, just saying. It's just more... American entertainment stupidity. And when I saw last night that that gorgeous, gorgeous isn't the right word, that glorious is closer, eagle, that bird, Kodiak, who'd escaped his prison cell had been captured and was back in his cell. I mean, I know I I was supposed to feel relief, right? I was supposed to feel relief. Oh, God. Because there was obvious concern about his ability to make it
0: but I felt sorrow too. Such
1: sadness. This glorious being had finally known freedom. He was born in captivity He'd never in his life been able to, like, go where he wanted to fly a little bit here and there. And he wasn't where he would have been if he were in his natural, I mean, the city is not the natural habitat. So he wasn't equipped to make it. And yet, I wish we could ask him. Would you rather, would you rather have stayed out there? Maybe you won't live as long, but would you rather actually hunt, not be spoon fed? Would you like to sit in high trees and over the
0: rivers? Broke my heart. My heart.
1: It wasn't enough. The Steelers lose in that humiliating fashion, and then I see come across that he was caught, captured, and oh the joy. Thank God, thank God. I understand, but I have to tell you I've been in a zoo in a long, long time. And I don't I can't stand these glorious animals. Behind bars, and I understand as well that there's a purpose served, but dear God, you know, listen by the time we that's humans get done with with them uh they're usually not in a better place, right? We'll take her. <laughs> We'll pave over their places that they want to live and need to live. They'll steal their food supply. And then when they start declining, because there's no place for them to live as they were intended to live, we'll scarf up some of the survivors and stick them in cages so that we can look and see a representative of a species that we help destroy. I don't know if that's true of his, but you
0: understand what I'm saying, I'm sure. A Bree suggesting that we bring Aaron
1: Rodgers to Pittsburgh. He does not wanna come to Pittsburgh. I get the impression that he wants a big stage um you know being being as good as he is, but being stuck in the tiniest just tiniest media market in uh professional sports uh You don't get the kind of celebrity that he probably feels that he should. I mean, he's got the Hollywood fiance, he's certainly very well known. I would think he'd appreciate being in Green Bay where, you know, it's just a little town. Hey, did you see that Mick Jagger, are they playing here, what, tomorrow? Did you see Mick Jagger walked into some little bar in uh, somewhere in what, South Carolina, North Carolina? And there's a picture of him just sort of standing there by himself uh, nursing a beer, I think. And no one recognized him. And somebody said to me, well, yeah, because you don't expect Mick Jagger is going to be in your neighborhood bar. So you just, even though you see him, you say, well, a guy sort of looks like him, but he can't be. But then you have to figure that the stones were there because they're doing their tour. So it would have been known that, it, in fact,
0: he was around. Wouldn't you have recognized him? Bree says, I'm a perennially disappointed Pirates fan. Yeah.
1: Join the crowd. I think what you see will be the future. I think what you see will be the future. Having a team, some good plays or games now and then, but they can never be competitive enough to go to the playoffs. Their role is to give other teams practice (laughs) (laughs) and wins. Yeah, but this is a role that is created by their own owners. I mean, uh,
0: they don't have
1: it. Well, Bree says it's etched in stone. Once you accept this, then it makes the pain a little less. Oh, that they just won't win. Just enjoy the occasional good game. For me, I only watch highlights from games we win. So in my mind, the Pirates are winning a lot. (laughs) Uh well yeah it is when you have that more uh you know realistically based fan mindset um it is better because the highs ain't as high the lows ain't as low and it's whatever it it makes more sense but i'll tell you this is a boon to uh sports talk radio and uh wow wow the disgruntled masses uh, will be venting left, right, and center. Well, here was something in sports that I found interesting and was surprised because what do I know? So there are girls playing on high school football teams? I, I didn't really realize glad to hear it. A girl named Lily Wasmond uh scored a touchdown this weekend for her team, Southmoreland High. And that is the first time a female has scored a touchdown in WPIAL football history. So I'm uh I'm just saying that's pretty cool. She's a junior. She's five feet two. How I'm sorry, but geez. She's obviously gutsy too. She's five feet two. And they wanted her to get the touchdown. They were right there on the one-yard line, and the coach said, give it to Lily, let her go in. On the third try, she got in. Uh, And, man, did she get piled on. She's quoted as saying, it didn't really hurt, but it does now. (laughs) I have a couple of bruises, but it's okay. I don't mind getting hit. So, uh, there you got it. One yard, touchdown, and WPIAL history. I don't know where South Moreland High is, because it must be in western Pennsylvania. So, that's that's cool, I guess. Oh, wow. I've got, and I, I have to um, heads up, and I'll ask my producer to let me know if it gets uh, to the point where it's uh, a problem. But, you know, I live in the city, so I live very close to my neighbor. And my neighbor, in fact, is uh, just feet away from me. Our houses are just feet apart. And uh, my neighbor is uh, doing extensive. Uh, reconstruction on their house and uh right now they're working literally uh on the other side of the wall i'm looking at they're just a few feet away and they're banging and sawing and drilling and staple gunning and in as much as um that bleeds over uh into the show i'm I'm sorry. If it gets too bad, I'll have to just pick up and 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 go somewhere. I don't know where. The other part of the house. Um. Oh God, guys. I'm sorry. I keep groaning in your ear, and I don't mean to. <laughs> I don't mean to. Did you see the video of a U.S. senator
0: being hounded as she goes into
1: a public restroom and goes into a stall and shuts the door, and the video continues with a young woman Talking to her, not screaming. At her. I found it interesting. The whole, the whole thing. These students. There were two of them. There was a boy at first, and then when cinema ducked into the bathroom, the girl took over and went in. And I saw all over the internet, disgraceful, outrageous.
0: It's come to this. We've lost all the civility. And
1: I have to admit, I'd probably be saying the same if it weren't cinema. <laughs> but because it is, I don't give a damn. I have grown to despise this narcissistic
0: wit. Cinema. No, they
1: weren't screaming at her. The girl was being very. She was saying, "I knocked on doors for you. I helped. I voted for you. I helped get you elected. I am the daughter of uh, immigrants." This very well spoken, and saying to her, "You are. You are not doing what you said you would do." Uh, and I. It, What is going on? Why are you doing what you're doing? They weren't screaming. They weren't calling her names. They were asking their senator to talk to them, to explain why she's holding up very popular legislative initiatives and Important ones, really important ones. And unlike Joe Manchin, she never explains. She doesn't talk. Just as she never said boo to these two, never said a word. Didn't even say, look, this is not the place to talk to me. Let me come in here. I'll come out. I'll talk to you. Oh, she, she famously, it's odd. She clearly likes attention or she wouldn't have orange hair one day and neon green hair the next and wear really short skirts and, and the, the, the bizarre clothes she wears. You would not do that if you don't enjoy attention. But she refuses to take her job seriously in that she owes, does she not? Does not any senator or representative, somebody elected, owe the people who elected them a, a conversation? To speak to them, to explain why she votes as she does or doesn't. Mansion at least makes an effort, and he clearly, when he's doing back and forth, you feel—I don't want to give him too much credit here—you do. He's there's an, a willingness for him to, in some measure, yeah, engage her. When's the last time you interview really with her, ever? Because I have not. When I think of Senator Cinema, I think of that despicable little thumbs down curtsy thing she did as she put the kibosh on a increase in the minimum wage. You know, she was back in the day, health leader. Lefty. The Green Party. Lefty. And it was a bunch of left that knocked on doors and got this creep elected to the U.S. Senate. And she has essentially given them a finger almost her entire tenure. And I cannot for the life of me, I don't want to waste time wondering about her, but she's behaving in an
0: outrageous, sheltered, irresponsible manner. Maureen Dowd pointed out that these clothes she wears, I mean, I have to tell you,
1: granted, we're not supposed to people's clothing choices, but, dear God in heaven, she at one point ended up presiding over the Senate. Now, you know that that's a, you know, at the Senators take it's not like the vice president is there all the time to do it. So she was actually up on the big, on the big podium and sitting in the big chair, and she was presiding over the Senate. She knew she would be presiding over the Senate, and on that she chose to wear a pink sweater with the words "dangerous creature." written on them. Um, It suggests a lack of seriousness. It suggests, again, this sort of smirking middle finger up yours attitude to the institution, to her colleagues. To her constituents, this is a vile human being.
0: And she's doing extraordinary damage. And brained out, ask questions. what she won't answer questions like
1: why are you doing this?
0: Why are you obstructing your own party, <clears throat> your own president? <clears throat> Consequential time. She doesn't answer. She does
1: not do interviews. She does not answer questions. She doesn't explain why she's opposed. She doesn't suggest what would make her
0: get on board. She put out an Instagram thing where
1: this is after the thumbs down wage where she was wearing a ring, big oversized glasses and a ring that that said excuse me, fuck off. So there it is. When I say that is how she presents herself to you, to her constituents, that's what it is. Fuck off. You know, it's one thing for a first lady who really doesn't have any power to wear clothing that Make statements I don't really care.
0: It's another thing for somebody who has been in office. And, you know, the president came up to Capitol Hill
1: to talk to these guys this weekend.
0: And you know what she did? She flew back to Phoenix
1: to raise money. A big, fancy resort. Lots of business donors. And she had another, she meets with all the, these are people who normally go, you know, feed money into Republican pockets. So she is, Vile. Vile. I can't imagine the level of narcissism that is operating in this person.
0: And the lack of seriousness. And there
1: ain't no way. She's getting reelected, and she's got to know that. And she doesn't care, I don't think. I get the impression that she doesn't really like the job much. You see, except for what the power it gives her, that she gets to use to draw more attention to herself and to line her own pockets. She's part of this new cohort of people that get into politics for all the wrong reasons. Sorry, it starts to block
0: it. For self-aggrandizement, I—I I just uh, my contempt for her,
1: as you can tell,
0: uh, is is boundless. I have a caller. I do? I guess I do. Hello?
1: Maybe I don't. All right. I don't. Okay with me. Uh, I read a very unpleasant piece. <laughs> when, when I mean, again, the papers are filled with horror. Even when it's supposed to be a good story, like they found the eagle, I end up sobbing. This <laughs> is uh, emblematic of the times. And speaking of the times, this was in the New York Times. Um, it was about New York City fire department. And I don't know what you think when you think of the New York City Fire Department, but pretty much what it's hard not to think is the extraordinary loss that that institution suffered on 9-11 and years after, too, it was... Firefighters succumbed to illness as a result of that day. And the very definition of what a hero is was a member of the
0: New York City Fire
1: Department. The story I read in the New York Times was about the culture of the New York City
0: Fire Department and that culture is hateful,
1: it says right here even leaders of the department acknowledge that the New York City Fire Department has tolerated racism sexism and harassment and have done little to corral it okay so there are two realities and for all the people out there who have trouble holding two seemingly disparate realities In their head this time, this is a very troubling story. How can those brave men who sacrifice themselves, men and women, to sacrifice themselves to save others on that horrific day? Also, and if I start telling you some of the things that have been cataloged about some of these heroes do... In their, and have said in their
0: spare time, it's sickening. So the uncomfortable
1: reality is that a hateful racist
0: can act as a hero. And that screws people's heads up, because
1: once somebody is categorized as a hero, then we imbue them with saint-like qualities. We then have to worship them. They're remarkable. They are the best of the best. We applaud, we this and that, and, and we take away the messy humanity. Why is it so hard for us to acknowledge
0: the complexity of a human being? Part saint, part devil.
1: Someone who will risk their
0: own life to help a stranger. But when they return
1: to the quiet of their own home or their own firehouse, they're filled with a kind of
0: insane hatred. How does that how do you
1: come to terms with with that? Some of what is acknowledged that goes on in some of these firehouses is is just disgusting, and some of the women and black firefighters who are quoted um also will say that when they're on the job, in other words, there's a fire, they go out and they're heading into buildings. All of this kind of animus does disappear. The job gets done. So these racist firefighters will, on the job, risk
0: their lives to save a black person trapped. But then they'll sit down
1: and they'll put out text messages. Here's one. Made the rounds in the New York Fire Department. Got a lot of people laughing. They loved it. It was uh, a Sesame Street character who Becomes a and says, I you don't have to pay me. You don't have to pay me because being able to legally shoot black children is payment enough. This
0: <laughs> is funny to them. Black people are referred to as animals.
1: They reveled in George Floyd's death. They openly show Trump paraphernalia in the firehouse when, in fact, there is supposed to be no political stuff going on in them. And can you imagine, you have to live with your fellow firefighters. Can you imagine for a black firefighter to have to Sleep and eat and spend 24 hour shifts with people that you know.
0: Feel this way about you and yours. Here's something astonishing.
1: As recently as 2019, the fire department in New York was using a training manual for managers which said, this is a quote from a training manual, motivation in firefighting is largely a matter of team building. Team building encounters special problems when the team has to readjust to new members, minorities or females, or members who are problems. So notice, women, minorities, or people who are problems. Those are three things that are said in the training manual that was used up until two years ago. Hard to build a team when you got these blacks and these women It's astonishing. And yet, I remind you, these are the heroes
0: of 9-11. And we got to be able to own that.
1: We got to stop with these cartoonish characterizations of people. Is all good, all bad, as heroes or villains. Humans are a
0: messy, complicated thing. And the mayor of New York is trying to
1: carry out all of the traitors to this country that are in the police department there <clears throat> and in police departments all over the country. He has said that if you are a member of the oath keepers or similar organizations that do not recognize the sovereignty of the U.S. government or of other democratically elected governmental institutions, which is what the Oath Keepers don't do, well, then he said, you can't be a
0: cop. And they got cops that are
1: also Oath Keepers. And it turns out that the Oath Keepers were certainly part of the carnage of January 6th mostly are made up of former military
0: and former law enforcement officers, heroes. Okay, we got a caller. Go ahead, please.
2: Hey, Lynn, it's Mike in UFC. Hey,
1: hi. How
2: you doing? Good. I have a cousin who's more like an uncle um, in the fire department. And he is the most racist, homophobic, sexist asshole you'd ever want to meet. Even his immediate family will not be in the same room with him one of my other cousins married a black guy and has biracial kids he refuses to be in the same room with them so um it you know there's not a person in the world that would disagree not anyone in my family would disagree with that statement um but he is not he was not just a fireman he made it to fire chief and he had so many sexual harassment cases against him He's been in the paper and everything um that they had to get rid of him, but of course he still has his pension, so anybody yeah. who believes that cartoonish ridiculousness has never been has never met many firemen or policemen, and I also have family members who are policemen and other firemen who are lovely, and I know aren't any of those things, yeah, but like, they yeah. allow. They allow this guy, to dance, and they allow him to be a part of their culture. So, gotta say, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's true, and that's what this article about the fire department in New York was about—about about that culture. And that culture is like one of those things that you cannot. It is ossified. It is so hard to break it up.
2: So when I worked for the odd shape in the oddly shaped building, they wanted me to teach a class called acculturation, which isn't even a word, but they were trying to change the culture in their little environment. And as I'm designing this class and meeting with these people there, that's impossible. It is impossible to do that. Maybe over time, um, those people leaving and better people coming in would change the culture. But in my experience, if you're in a bad culture, there are no amount of lawsuits that are going to change that. And managers don't want to change. They, they, they. The people that get promoted to management are the people who could have been good at their previous job or were so bad at their previous job that they promoted them to get rid of them. So uh, I don't know.
1: Well, I I don't know either. And I just I don't know. I allow well, as I said, I don't know, but it's it's fascinating though that these are the heroes of 911 as well.
2: Right? Right. But the reason that they're heroes and this isn't to denigrate all of them, but I know my cousin and I won't say his name he went there and would go there not because it was the right thing to do or because he wanted to help humanity, but because he had to be there. He would have much rather been at high and tall making sure that a candle on stage didn't burn down or much rather mm-hmm. sitting there watching fireworks to make sure, you know, it went off. He would go, he go, would go to the event. Not because he cared about humanity. It was because it was what he had to do. It was his job. Right. And he wouldn't get a pension. And, he, you know, I'm sure there's camaraderie there with other races and whatnot. So, but the motivation for any of us is not always clear.
1: Not even when you're yeah. helping,
2: it's not always clear.
1: That's true. But again, complexity is not something that most people are comfortable with because it doesn't leave you in a comfortable place.
0: But who
2: do uh, you know, I guess I have a wider circle of people in my life, you know, a cousin who is a fireman, fire chief, who is a complete racist, homophobic, sexist asshole, and... You know, and then I have other firemen who are nice and a cop friend who's cool, another cop friend who I wouldn't trust alone with my child. You know, I I look at this wild range of people in my life. Mm -hmm. Do other people not or do they just shut their mind off to their next door neighbor who's a cop and a jerk or the next door neighbor who's a doctor and an egotist?
0: uh,
2: uh, Am I the only one that has wide range of people in my
1: life well uh probably not although we do as they say silo right we stay with people who aren't going to ask uncomfortable questions like that right we that those are people we hang with people who who yeah allow us to be comfortable
2: don't you think yeah, but I don't hang with my cousin Paul, but – oh, I'm sorry. I don't hang with my cousin, but I know what he is. I yeah. don't have to hang with a surgeon to know, oh, boy. Yeah, oh, boy, you get that, usually. You know, I I, I don't have to hang with them to know the reality of what the world is. Yeah. But if I was having a heart attack, I would want that surgeon in the room yeah. with me at the time. Yeah, so, You know.
1: exactly right. Exactly Or. Right.
2: W- or when I was traveling for a living, I said to my cousin, you know, what should I know? He said, never stay in a hotel above the fifth floor because we can't get to you. So it says in all of my hotel profiles, prefers under five fifth floor. So, you know, he could have <laughs> saved my life at some point. So, yep. but I also know who he is.
1: <laughs> well, <clears throat> God. Did all right you read the
2: article in the you read the article in the New York Times yeah okay I, I think remember. it was
1: in on uh, i think it was uh in sad i think it was in Saturday's paper
2: okay, it I'll was a front page
1: story okay all right did you hey, did thanks. you have you
2: read much about no. the not just have you read much about the whistleblower for facebook?
1: Yeah, you know, I yeah, I, I wanna. I, I saw the sixty minutes episode, and I have read more, and I I'm gonna save that for tomorrow to talk about. Okay. Yeah.
2: Get a yeah. lawyer's opinion. Smart.
1: Well, she listen. That's not her area of expertise. <laughs> but, but she knows more than I do. Well, listen, she was a last a lawyer about forty years ago. <laughs>
2: Don't discount her. She's wonderful. We love her.
1: I know. I know. But I mean, come on. Yeah. Okay. We'll okay. talk to Susan. Okay. Bye. Bye. Oh, oh God. Um, I want to just share very quickly with you because we were talking about diversity and stuff. There's an interesting piece in the Times today. Uh, uh, the headline is Afghanistan's last Jew has left. And, It's true. (laughs) Uh, In that whole huge nation now that once was home to a pretty thriving Jewish population as well, there is not a single Jew. Uh, There are so many countries where this headline would work. And stop and think if that headline would work in with any other uh Afghanistan's last black has left or Muslim or you know I, but this happens to Jews all the time. Now this last Jew of Af- in Afghanistan was a a character. And you might recall that at one point when we were there, that's the United States military uh, we were uh, There was a story about there being two Jews <laughs> left in Afghanistan, and uh, the funny part of the story was they couldn't stand each other. And the other story that they tell in Afghanistan, because it makes people laugh, is that they were both imprisoned at one point by the Taliban. And their endless bickering made the jailers go so crazy that they let him go. Well, I don't know if that's an apocryphal tale. It's funny. And then one of the two last Jews died and left this one who just left. Just got himself out. Um. And the woman who's writing this piece says, you know, these stories we tell, like about the two of them, there's only two Jews and they're at each other's throats. um, You tell those stories uh, as a kind of comic relief, as a kind of Mel Brooks skit, is actually covering up a reality.
0: That is so extraordinarily dark. This is as I said, last Jew
1: stories that you can write in a ton of places. Uh Libya. Libya used to have a huge Jewish population and the the Tripoli uh was one quarter Jewish. In 1941, pretty consequential year, 1941, one quarter of the population of Tripoli was Jewish. How many Jews aren't now? Right. None. There are none. Muammar Gaddafi threw him out. One Jew came back trying to... Save the synagogue there, but he had to flee for his life. Syria, home to one of the huge, largest Jewish populations for millennia,
0: not a single Jew. And then the woman writing the story says, you
1: know, if you go to these places where there are no Jews anymore, you will find that the people who threw them out, who ran them out, now speak of them almost nostalgically. They tell stories about Jews that make them feel better about themselves. It's a kind of self-righteous memory-keeping. Because it's just so much easier remembering them fondly than living with them. So she writes, places around the world, now largely devoid of Jews, have come to think fondly of the dead Jews who once shared their streets. And in fact, an entire industry has emerged to encourage tourism to these places where these now long gone and dead Jews
0: used to be. And the reality is that the people now make money off of these Jewish tourist sites
1: the very places where Jews were massacred or driven out. But now they think lovingly of these dead Jews because they bring Jewish tourists and their Jewish money. Egypt had a, a huge Jewish community predated uh, Islam by six centuries. There are now a handful. So the Egypt's last Jew story is maybe a year or two away. But now that there are only a handful of Jews in the country the Egyptian government has been pouring funding into restoring synagogues. Not so actual Jews who live there can worship in them, but again, to attract tourists. And she writes this story to say, and this has to do with, again, what we're talking about, the culture of the fire department. People all over this world don't like living with people who are different. They malign them. They ghettoize them. They massacre them. They murder them. And then after they're all gone, they tell nostalgic
0: stories. And there's, this is a very hard article to again
1: take in. And she points out that in this country, American diversity is impressive on paper, but in reality, we generally don't live together. In generally, we don't comfortably
0: enjoy the company of people who are different.
1: So. How's that for depressing? I don't know. It's just reality. Just reality. Okay, that's it for me. I'm going to go take a double dose of my antidepressant. And um, Susan will be here tomorrow. And yeah, I want to talk about the Facebook stuff and uh, some other stuff as well. Okay, got lots of stuff. And uh, I'll try to lighten it up. (laughs) Have a good one.
0: Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Thursday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.